In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, please be seated. Once upon a time, medieval monastic theologians used to have discussions that were like this. Did Jesus ever laugh? They would actually have arguments over this sort of thing. Did Jesus laugh? Did Jesus smile? Did Jesus ever tell a joke? Did Jesus enjoy himself when he was a human being as also the very Son of God? The very fact that our Lord would go to a wedding in Cana, in his home region of Galilee, shows us, yeah, Jesus laughed. Jesus had a good time. Probably enjoyed a glass of wine just like everyone else did at this feast. Now, however, in day three, so many people have enjoyed what they have seen and heard at this wedding feast, which in the time that our Savior walked the face of the earth, wedding feast would last many, many days. So often now, you know, we think oh, four or five hours at the VFW Hall or at the Legion Hall, and we've had a good time. How about the third day they're having a good time? And all of a sudden, our blessed Lord discovers they have no wine. It was his mother that told him so. And our Savior responds, What is this to you and to me? That's a Hebraism. Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so this is a, a turn of phrase. What is this to you and to me? What is the relationship here? He's asking his mother. What does this, what do, you, what do you want me to do about this? Don't you know that my hour has not yet come? It's almost a petulant Jesus to talk to his mother like this. And perhaps you're thinking, what about the fourth commandment, Lord? Honor your father and your mother. Shouldn't you get about this business? And even Mary is quick to get up from her place and go find the servants and Almost pull them aside and kind of whisper in their ear. Hey, see that guy over there? Do whatever he tells you. We, beloved, suffer much worse indignity than running out of wine at a wedding feast. And the Lord still seems to speak the same words in our house as he spoke at the wedding feast at Cana. We have all of these temptations that occur despite what we believe and our piety and how we believe it. We believe as Lutherans that the way of uh, our Lord and the way of our life to eternal life is the way of the cross. There is much suffering this side of paradise. But we have expect these words that Jesus speaks to be spoken at a time of need. Why are we then surprised when he says, my hour is not yet come, and what does this have to do with you and me to his mother in a time of joy? How can there be lack of anything at a wedding? That kind of brings us back to this argument again. Should Jesus even be there? At my first congregation, they used to wait for things like the bouquet toss and taking off the garter on the bride and throwing the garter they used to wait for that until after the pastor and his wife left because, God forbid, the bride may show too much leg or something. I've seen a woman's leg, so you don't have to worry about offending me.
But what does this have to do with Jesus? Everything. For wherever Jesus puts himself, there's going to be joy. Boy, oh boy. Lives today sure could use a lot of joy now, couldn't they? Hard times seem to be right back with us again. Maybe hard times for you has never left. And maybe you've talked about it with our blessed Lord in prayer. And the answer has been, so you think, what is this to me and to you, my child? My hour has not yet come. And so we look at the old watch or the old clock on the wall. We ask our phone what time it is and what day it is. And we wonder if and when our Savior will do anything about it. This is the moment when you and I, and I'll speak for myself, yeah, I'd probably quit. I'd walk away. Prayer grows faint and faith waxes dim. But for Mary, you see, there is faint glimmer. My hour has not yet come. That's getting your foot in the door. And it's cracked open. Even if just a millimeter, it's cracked open. Which is why she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. She's hanging on to a promise. When is that hour going to come, Lord? Ultimately, it comes when he spreads his arms out wide upon the cross. But at a wedding in Cana, it also happens. Not only that, but John tells us it's the first of his signs. And it happens in such a backdoor, left-handed way. Changing water into wine. But once you know about the whole circumstance, it makes sense. There are six stone jars at a wedding feast, at least at this one. And they contain a large amount of water. But it's not just any water. This is the water for ritual purification of bowls, cups, and plates. You not only wash these things, but you wash them in this water. And you don't eat any food out of it or drink any drink out of it until they have been ritually cleansed. And it's these jars that Jesus tells the servants to fill with water because they are refreshed because water is dipped out of them over and over. And three days, you're going to use up quite a bit of water. Because people are hungry and thirsty at a wedding feast. And so they fill the jars with water. And then he said to him, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. What's this? We're going to have a water tasting at a wedding reception? You might think of a wine tasting, but water tasting? But already the water has become wine. At a wedding feast, you would always serve the Montrachet first. Get the Dom Perignon out of the way, because everybody is sober. When the sobriety begins to wane, however, you 
put away the Montrachet because everybody's drank it, and you switch over to Three Buck Chuck. Because after three days, let's be honest, nobody's going to know the difference. But the master of the feast did. And the servants knew from where it came. Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. The servants knew, his mother knew, and our Savior knew. And his disciples knew, too. And John says they believed in him. They believed in him before this. But now that he has performed the first of his signs, they really believed in him. Jesus doesn't perform a miracle unless it has something to do with helping someone else. He doesn't perform miracles just to say, hey, hold my wine glass. How does he help a feast in Cana? He takes what was ritually pure and makes it wine, and just the best wine. He turns everything upside down at a wedding feast, backwards, left-handed. That's how he works in our life, too. Jesus, you see, comes into the midst of our life in the great sadness and wrath and woe that we have to deal with. And he brings joy. Our church sign here says right now, Jesus meets you here with joy. And let's be honest. There are times when we come to our Savior's house and we're not feeling it. I don't want to be here. It's raining. It's cold. It's foggy. I could be home. I could be in the easy chair in my lazy clothes, but I'm here and I have to sit next to them and I have to look at them and act like I like them. And the preacher's going to talk long again this week. When is he going to change the subject? Why does it have to be Jesus every week? And we're going to sing and I can't sing. And we're going to take communion and it's going to make the service longer. And I know they're going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do. (laughs) This is many of the baggage that we bring. And this is the mundane stuff. I'm not talking about the really big stuff that all of us have to deal with. Sickness, sorrow, mental strife, hurt, fear. And we come to our Savior's house and Jesus meets us here. He's always here, you see. And he meets us here with joy. And let's talk about joy again. Joy is not a feeling for a Christian. It's a state of being. It's who we are in his blood, in his righteousness, in his innocence, in his peace, in his forgiveness. Joy. It's what goes in your ears from this pulpit. 
what went on you and your baptism and it's what's going to go in you tonight as you eat and drink his very body and blood joy. And you'll leave here and you'll probably still have the same thoughts that when you got here. And Lord willing, when you come back next week, you'll probably have some different mundane things on your mind. And Jesus knows. And he still meets you here with joy. Because he met people at a wedding feast in Cana with the same joy, you see. And perhaps many of them had no idea, no idea how good the wine was. But a family was helped. The family of God here that is St. Peter's congregation is always helped by a gracious Savior who loves you and forgives you He doesn't just brush aside all of the sin. He forgives it. And his disciples believed in him. Maybe there's even a time when you've walked in here and said, what am I doing here? And then you leave and you're like, ah, now I know why I'm here. Because Jesus has something for me something which I cannot reach into my phone or reach out and touch a screen to grab. He has something for me. And he gives it to me face to face through a guy who, yeah, probably does need to trim his beard. <laughs> 